You are listening to episode 287 on University of Adversity. A lot of people don't understand it because they think it's selfish to only want to focus on yourself. But as you shift yourself, the world around you also shifts. Yes. You know, it's like they, they cannot, they have to play together in that way. We affect change on the world just by affecting change within ourselves. That's it. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What is up, fam? Happy New Year, everybody. Hope you guys are having a beautiful day today. Um, I apologize in advance for the sound quality of this intro. As I'm filming this, I'm just getting ready to go to Costa Rica. And as you guys know, I'm going down there for three months and I'm taking all my gear with me. So I'm taking my personal gear that I record podcasts with at home. I'm also taking travel gear. So this is a time where I really, I wanted to be prepared for this trip because um, there's been times in the past where I'm not prepared and I regret it. So. I want to be able to film these podcasts while I'm away for via Zoom like I do most of them, but I also want to do in-person ones. So I don't have a mic right now, so hopefully this is uh, this is all right. Anyways, today's guest is a good friend of mine. She's a fellow sister from the Aubrey Marcus uh, Fit for Service Fellowship, and her name is Sarah Howitt. She's awesome, and the amount of growth I've seen with her within the last year has been really, really amazing. Um, really kind soul and she's just on a path of self-discovery and really you know working on healing herself the more she heals herself the more she can heal others and i think that's a lot of us path that we're on you know the degree that we can help people out is the degree that we can help ourselves and sarah is really on that life path right now so a little bit about her she's a transformational life coach with a goal to help individuals work through the process of metamorphosis by releasing past stories of limitation and making space for new expansive growth. She believes in radical self-forgiveness and self-compassion as a starting point for the journey. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have arrived. You simply have to show up for yourself every day. Curiosity and as a guide, she uses tools such as meditation, mindfulness, expressive writing, or other forms of artistic expression, embodiment practices, nature therapy, and connected self-exploration. Her focus is to help empower you by exploring the concept of surrender, vulnerability, and If you guys do get value from this, please leave us a review on Apple or share this with somebody that needs it. And if you guys haven't already, please hit the subscribe button for listening to this, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, or wherever. And we're also available on YouTube. Enjoy the show. Sarah Howick, right up. Here we go. Sarah, how you doing? <laughs> Great. I'm so excited to be here. How are you? I'm so good. So good. This is long overdue. I'm really excited to connect with you right now in this moment. Um, it's been quite a year sitting this recording, but December 30th, 2020. What a ride it's been. Um, well, you know, we're, we're to start, let's, I know that you've had a big year. You know, I know that there's been a lot going on. I've had a big year, a lot of like transformation, a lot of amazing relationships, a lot of stuff has happened. So for you, let's, let's kick it off. You know, when we were walking into 2020, what was your 
What was your thought for the year ahead? How did it unfold for you? And I guess what I want to ask you is, what was a big win for you for 2020? And maybe, a, and then one big lesson that you feel now you can walk away with. Well, to start off, um, I have been doing a word of the year for, I think this year going into 2021 will be my 12th year. And basically it's just a one word intention for the year. I don't do resolutions. I just set my sight on a single word and I meditate on that word for the entirety of the year. As often as I can every day in yoga class, when I'm walking, when I'm with others. And my word of the year in 2020 was belonging. And that was in part, I set my sight on that word in part because I knew I was going into fit for service. And it seemed fitting that belonging to a community, I mean, there's belonging to a community and then there's like really knowing that you belong to any person, community, um, group, tribe. And what I really found, I would say, so the biggest lesson for me to uh, segue from that into your question is that it is me who gives myself belonging and that I have to belong to myself fully before I can really belong to anybody else. And that has really been a profound um, unfolding throughout the year for me. Yeah, it's, that's, it's powerful. And it's always interesting to, when you have a word like that, I've never done that. And maybe I'll do that this year to really focus on it and to see how it unfolds. So how would you say that that unfolded for you? Did you, do you feel your belonging? Do you feel what you, your intention was set? Do you feel that you've, that you've arrived into that, that spot? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, it was interesting. The beginning of the year, I did a, a DMT journey by myself um, on January 11th. It was during the, there was a big, I, I believe it was a solar eclipse, a uh, partial somewhere in the world. Um, and I, within that journey, I actually, that was what I first wrote down as I was journaling after the experience. I wrote down, it was me that gave myself belonging. And that was the experience that was had in that journey. Um, I, I basically went into this, uh, this realm that was only of the divine feminine. And there were all these different aspects of the feminine within this realm. But what I understood when I came out, and I don't even remember what the, the exact moment or situation was within the journey. But when I came out, I just had this deep sense of, oh, like, it's me that gives me that belonging. And um, I, I remember in the journey, I saw myself as a person standing in the center of a group of people all surrounding me holding hands. But at the same time, I could, say, I could see myself as a link in that group of people surrounding me holding hands. So like one of the people and also simultaneously could see myself from above both as the link and within the circle. So I had this like 3D view of this sense of belonging. And it was a really profound journey, one of the most profound DMT journeys that I've had. And then all the way at the end of this year, so a few weeks ago, the Fit for Service community was in Miami. 
and we did a, a breathwork ceremony all standing up in a circle. We had two circles, one inside and one outside. And we did a 30-minute standing breathwork, all holding each other with our arms around each other, you know, um, embracing each other so that if one person was having an experience, the other people could feel that. And it was this, this um, experiment in, in resonance and being in resonance with one another. And I had a huge breakthrough then. Um, it was a full circle moment. Ha ha ha. <laughs> it was a full circle moment and uh, definitely brought in, like, it just sealed the envelope of that word for me in a really big way. But throughout my whole year, I've had these little micro lessons in belonging and what that means. I've, um, I've struggled with alcohol for a big part of my life, in part due to my um, my, I owned a brewery a number of years ago in Denver and I, there was a whole chapter throughout this year just on belonging without alcohol. So what does that look like to connect and to belong to a tribe when you're not drinking or not partaking? Yes. And there's been a, a, a whole series of those little micro lessons. Let's unpack that because I can relate. That's been the biggest challenge in my life uh, up until this year has been alcohol and trying to play with that, the dance of the balance. You can just have one or you, you know, you can, you want to socialize, you want to just belong, you know, you want to like, you, you don't want to make a fuss and it's just easier sometimes to drink. And, and I can totally relate with that, but things sometimes shift. Like for me, Alcohol has been one of those things that I have learned to live without now, but at the same time, it's, it's never been easy until I felt like I'm more whole inside. Makes sense. You know, like, and I'd love if you could speak to this a little bit, like how has your relationship now that you've kind of gone through this, this year, a lot of healing, a lot of different you know, a lot of journeys, a lot of great relationships. You know, how is your relationship to alcohol now? And how has it changed versus like when you stepped into When I started, when I knew I got accepted to fit for service, I did, um, I did one month no alcohol, which is the first time that I had done that since my early 20s and I'm 35 now. Mm. And I took a whole month off. I took the month of December off and I went into January. You know, we had our first, oh, I guess we took all of January off. We went into February. We had Tulum, the Tulum yeah. meetup. And I, I, I had drinks when we were in Tulum, yeah. but I noticed that the compulsion to drink was next to zero. Like it was really? so minimal. And same with food, like I definitely, I, I, in connection, like food and alcohol tend to be, tend to go hand in hand with like socializing or connection for me. It's the way that I was raised yeah. and um, a lot of like familial stuff there. And in Tulum, I, I had no appetite either. So it was like no craving for alcohol, hardly any appetite. And I realized that when we left Tulum and when I stayed a few extra days, but when all of the community kind of left and went back to their corners of the earth, I 
was I started to crave alcohol and, and I, my appetite came back. And I really took note of that. And I've noticed that at every single summit, it's been the same way. And I actually had a conversation with a friend um, on my, I'm on a little adventure. I left uh, my home in Colorado a few weeks ago and I'm in Phoenix currently. And on my way, my way down, we, I did a little mushroom ceremony with a girlfriend, uh, Emily. And she said, there are primary foods and there are secondary foods. Primary foods are love, joy, uh, play, belonging, uh, community, happiness, all of those. They're, they're not actually foods. They're all those things that like feed your soul. And then the secondary foods are food, you know, fruits and vegetables and meats and all of that. And I've really noticed throughout the year that when I'm in community and I'm surrounded by that tribe and that love, it's almost like I'm sustained solely by that and not by any other substance, even good food, right? Even whole food. I've really been trying to find ways to bring in more of the primary foods into my day-to-day life so that I don't have that craving or that reliance on secondary, those secondary foods, alcohol or, you know, obviously you got to eat, but, you know, yeah, no, for I, things that aren't good for us. I, I got gotcha. you. I mean, a lot of us eat emotionally too, right? You know, mm-hmm. and that's been something for me in the evenings. And most I would, I would like to say is that, you know, there's something about at nighttime, you want to, you're relaxing and you're kind of lonely or whatever. Even if you're with a partner, there's just this thing you want to just eat. And it's, and until you try, you know, fasting and really, I mean, I haven't done a lot of big fasts, but I know when you do fast, you realize you don't need food like we think we need it's not like we're going to starve to death, but it's a comfort, right? And I think that comfortable feeling at that, that, that it gives us some sort of like security, right? And I know alcohol is very, it's powerful for really numbing any sort of social anxiety, which most human beings have, which is why alcohol is what it is in the business it is, mm-hmm. right? And that that aspect i really didn't figure out this year until or you know i kind of unpacked it but like the real that that social anxiety and and people are just afraid to be themselves so they need this this poison to like make them feel a little bit better like it's it's bizarre right but i think if you can get you can understand the relationship with it if you're doing it to medicate or to hide or to numb versus doing it to celebrate because it's nice. So, so there's a celebration, some seeing some friends at a wedding or whatever. It's, it's, it's okay, right? Like it's your relationship with it. But it's really interesting to see like when you change that and when you are getting all the things like from community and friends, and love, you don't need these other things. A lot, and and it's a lot of it too with addiction is such a low vibrational energy. Like when you're at a high vibe, those weird, those, those low vibrational things that we sometimes gravitate mm-hmm. toward don't exist. Absolutely. And that really interesting too. And it's interesting as well when, you know, we were raised in a, in a, in many parts of the world, but especially in the West, we're not really taught how to be in true community. There, there are obviously parts of the world where community is such 
a part of the culture and a part of the tradition of what it means to be X, a part of this particular group of people. But we're so individualistic in the United States and in the Western world that we've lost touch with tribe and with being in community. And we don't know what it's like to truly be seen by a group of people. And I feel like alcohol gives this false sense of being seen and being connected. But it really is just, I mean, it's exactly what you said. It's like putting up a facade or a mask, numbing out true emotions. And I think I've actually had a lot of interesting conversations about alcohol lately, but I think it can be used like any other substance or, you know, medicine. It can be used in ceremony. And I I say that lightly with alcohol, but it can be used with this really like um, intentional in this really intentional way, like you were speaking to about weddings. But for the most part, we use it so flippantly in the Western world, it's not really a part of our culture. But even if you go over to like France or Belgium, where, you know, wine is everywhere in France and beer is everywhere in Belgium. And the, the kids are kind of raised with it as a part of the tradition. It's not abused like it is here. I mean, it is some in some places, of course. Yeah. But there's just been this, this disconnect. And, and that actually brings me to another thought. Um, the same person that I, that I met with, Emily, in, in uh, Durango, when we were talking about this and about the primary foods and the secondary foods, she's from the beer industry as well. That's how we know each other. And she works with a lot of grain producers. And she sees how the grain is grown. She knows how it's harvested and how it's processed. It's often done by hand or done with minimal equipment. Um, I mean, not, you know, not in the way we think of by hand, but it's just been done very minimally. It's not done in this kind of industrial, high, fast process way. And I've been thinking a lot about how, you know, when you have like a tomato that's grown in your friend's garden and how it tastes totally different from a tomato that you get at the grocery store. I think the same could be said for alcohol and alcohol products. Yeah. And like the vibration that that holds when it's grown by hand and with love and produced, you know, brewed by hand or produced by hand versus this kind of industrial, like fast, quick, cheap, you know, ingredients. And I've been thinking a lot about that with alcohol as well, like really taking note of how the product's grown and connecting with it as a food, like I would connect with my food before I ate it or as I was cooking it really trying to connect with that with gratitude and allowing it to bless my body in that way, in the same way I would with any meal that I'm consuming. I love that, actually. I've never thought about it like that. I mean, I have a little bit working in the bars and, you know, I was really into cocktails and and spirits and whiskey and learning about it. And that's what I loved about it as well, is the history and the tradition Mm -hmm. of how these spirits are made, you know, whiskey and, and, you know, and how, how deep rooted it is in the culture, right? And the wine and, and that fascinates me. And I think you're absolutely right. It, it all starts with the intention of how it was made in the first place versus, you know, how, like, you know, you drink something like Jack Daniels versus like a really, you know, a bourbon that's been distilled by like someone's grandfather for like years and years. And there's like a secret recipe and there's a lot of love that go, goes into that. And I believe that that does show up. And it's a good mm-hmm. way. You also appreciate when you're drinking something. Sometimes it's, it, it reflects it in price. 
and you, you appreciate it more because there is quality. And I think that goes like that with wine and everything. And that's, that's a good place to, to be is like really appreciate this thing for what it is. And it's an intention. Like we talked about ceremony and making everything a ceremony a lot this year in fifth service. And that has been a huge thing as well. If you can really have that intention, like, you know, why am I drinking this thing? You know, why am I, am I drinking this because I'm scared or I'm hiding? Or am I drinking to this because I fucking want this and I want to celebrate it with my friends and I enjoy this, this wine. I love this person that made this wine. Let's enjoy it with food. There's, that's the difference. I, I really Absolutely. believe that. And I love that because, you know, I'm off the booze right now for almost four months. But there, there'll be a time where I would love to be able to have that and to be able to look at alcohol with a different lens. You know, but it is, it is a slippery slope. You know, if, you, if you have those addictions and you, you want to hide, right? So it's, it's definitely worth doing the work first and then maybe reintroducing it. But yeah, that relationship is key with it. And it's like, I love that making things a ceremony, really intentional. Absolutely. And I don't think it has to be some sort of dogmatic, you know, we're going to sit and we're going to pray and we're going to give thanks and we're going to, you know, no, it can yeah, just be sure. as simple as like what I like to do with, I'm starting to incorporate this practice with my meals as well now, but just like cupping the bowl or the plate or whatever, or just um, like putting my hands over it and just connecting with that food, the, the hamburger, whatever it is that I'm eating, yeah. you know, the, the, the beer, whatever. And just like, being grateful for it and recognizing that it was a living thing at one point, whether it's a plant or, or an animal um, or a grain that goes into the beer, you know, we forget yeah. that that's plant plant as well. And just really trying to connect with it and be, show gratitude, gratitude being the highest, you know, vibration that we can hold. I'll check talked about that in Aubrey's podcast about it really shifted how I look at meat too. It's like, this thing gets to, you know, if you celebrate the life and it gets to step into its next level of evolution or a next level into your body, become part of you. And when he said that, I was like, man, that's such a, that's such a great way to, to think about eating meat. It's like the next, it gets to be part of your body that, and if your intentions are great and you're going to do great things, then it's helping you out. Like it's, it doesn't have to be this bad feeling. And that itself can just shift the way people think about you know whatever they're taking into their body right absolutely and, and it's it's powerful to really have that relationship with your food and it's not something that i i do eat unconsciously a lot and i catch myself like man did you even like did you even chew the food <laughs> like you just but it's important and it's it's being being mindful and i think eating and drinking is just one of those things that can kind of because we do it so much it can kind of set us up for all the other things that we ceremony present absolutely so i would also i want to talk to you about psychedelics right this is obviously something that i've talked about a lot on this show and it's been a huge um it's the science and what's coming out and what it's doing for the brain it's it's really really amazing stuff and i love that it's being talked about more because i really believe that it can be a very powerful tool that to, to use. Now, you know, it's not for everybody. I always like to say that, but it is powerful. And I know that you have um, experienced a lot with it as well. So maybe walk us through the last year of psychedelics for, 
for people listening and they're sort of, you know, they've heard about it, they've heard me talk about it, maybe coming from a, a different place. I don't know if I've had a female talk about it usually, or we maybe have it, but like I know that you're working with this stuff a lot and you have been and you're learning and you're educating yourself and helping people facilitate. So I'd love if you could just speak, speak to that a little bit, that your journey been with psychedelics so far. I first started working with mushrooms in 2017. And from then to this year, it was a pretty, I liked to be choosy about when and where I used psychedelics, uh, really being intentional with it. And then this year, I mean, it's been the same this year. I mean, but it's just been exponential growth in terms of um, new opportunities. And starting with the beginning of the year, I did Bufo for the first time. It was an absolutely wild experience. I felt like I both dissolved into the everythingness of everything (laughs) and nothing became nothing at the same time. And I felt like I met God. Truly, I don't remember a lot of the experience, but you know, my intention going into ceremony was just that I would have so much gratitude for life and for the preciousness of life that I would have no choice but to live in that way, to live with that understanding and to honor my life and the lives of those around me, including you know, the earth. For the 45 minutes following, I just kept thinking how grateful I was and how much gratitude I had for everything, for the sun, for the blanket that was around me, everything. Yeah, so true. It was beautiful. And after that, that experience, my anxiety was completely gone. For good or just for like a month? It was, I mean, it's mostly been gone um, since then. It still comes back a little bit here and there, but for the first month it had completely dissipated. I almost didn't, didn't, I didn't even know that I had anxiety, you know, until Mm. it was gone. Yeah. Wow. And it's, that's such a powerful experience. I mean, I did it in Sedona and um, I do remember what happened and it was like, oh man, this, (laughs) it was like, I've never felt or seen anything like that in my life it was like you know you see fractal geometry but like it was like moving and i was the geometry it was like insane it was like so overwhelming but so peaceful and it's like and then this blissfulness happened and the yeah you're right and when i came out of it too like the gratitude you see life through a different lens now and you're and i can really understand where you're saying when it comes to the anxiety because mine was like completely fear has gone fear is gone like i was like the fuck am i scared of and like i was like i have no i had no control i completely lost ego and like that was scary but now on this we can do things and move around and be a human i'm like this is not scary like it's crazy and you know that's that is so powerful for people like us who have had anxiety or fears or whatever because it literally, it'll like wipe the, suite, the slate clean for you. It'll give you a fresh powdered snow on like a, a, a heavily run ski hill, right? I forget who said that. that <laughs> but it's literally like it'll give you, that's why it's so powerful. It like gives you that fresh snow to create new um, neural pathway, right? But that's a powerful one. That's one I wouldn't, 
I, I, would you recommend doing that as your first? That's, I definitely wouldn't, especially for somebody like, that I knew I had anxiety. Man, that, that, you know, just so you guys know, Bufo is 5-MeO-DMT for all of you that don't know what that is. The most powerful psychedelic. And you have to surrender. And if you don't know what surrendering is, I don't know if that's the best to start with. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true statement. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've held space for some of those ceremonies and when people don't surrender, it's, it's obvious. And, and they don't, they don't even know that they're not surrendering because they're in the medicine, but their ego is hanging on so strong that they'll try to get up and stand up and walk around. And, um, sometimes people are just like, okay, you know, they, they drop in and within two minutes they're like, okay, I, I guess that was it. And they don't even know that they're saying that because their, their ego has been dissolved, but it's like hanging on like, okay, just get me out of here. Can we, can we go now? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's wild. It's wild to, to watch because there's such a range of experiences that people have. Yeah, that is wild. And also like what's going on, what you think is going on, isn't always what's going on there. Like I remember thinking I was making all this noise and ruckus. I was like, oh, once my ego started to come back intact, I was still in it, but I was like, oh no, I, I, I hope I'm not annoying anybody. You know, I thought I was being loud and all this in, in my mind and in, I was like in and out of it. And then when I finished, they were like, you were like so peaceful. You didn't move. You were like smiling. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, are you serious? I was like, I thought I was like causing commotion. And I was like, whoa, that's interesting. That's my <laughs> ego thinking I'm causing a fuss or something. And I, 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 I'm now I'm like, huh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. I've heard that. I mean, I've only sat in, I think 12, um, I've ha- I have helped, I've helped hold space for, I think 12 ceremonies now. So I'm not that experienced, but what I've heard and what it, what it seems to be the case is the more still people are, the more chaos is going on in the brain and the more, the more people like, cause I was like thrashing around on the floor. Like, I was just all over the place and screaming and going crazy. And I, inside I was like in pure bliss, like a thousand orgasms at once type bliss. <laughs> like just, yeah, you know, it's, a, it's incredible. So yeah, it's interesting the different range that people have of experience. And for those of you who are curious, I, you know, you can research it, but I would just, you know, don't believe everything on the internet because <laughs> some totally. people... Some people have really, um, depending on the shaman that you sit with, some people do not have pleasant experiences with that medicine and it can be really scary. And um, so it's not, I, it's not like just doing a mushroom trip, you know? No. It's, <laughs> no, it's no joke. And after I did it, I was like, I'm never doing that again, even though I loved it. But I, I <laughs> probably will. But like, I'm just like, okay, I get it. Uh, I understand, but fuck, what a ride that was. Like, it's... Again, like three, two, one, God. Like, whoa. Like, what is just, Like, when you're getting ready to, to inhale that smoke, it feels like you're about to jump out of an airplane. Like, it is, and I will not jump out of an airplane. Like, that's, that's like yeah, on, on my will never do list. But it's that feeling when you're like about to bungee jump or like you're on the edge of a cliff. I've done some of those like big, you know, cavern swings or whatever where you jump out over the gorge. But it's like that feeling where you're stepping up to the edge and you're like, fuck, fuck. Like I might die. I might die. <laughs> you know, it's terrifying. Yeah. It's terrifying. You know, 
the the thing is that I really like to talk about and educate people on about this stuff is like the fact that I wouldn't advise you know kind of grouping this as like recreational this isn't like that and I'm more so fascinated by what it can do to heal our brains and being a former athlete you know hockey player that got punched in the, the head a lot you know I got in a lot of fights you know we we you know told to go out and fight and um i always plus you come you combine that with partying you know with 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 abusing drugs and alcohol and you got a you got a chaos in your brain so what i really am interested in is also a lot of the sports communities a lot of the ex nhl guys pro athletes are using these substances you know psilocybin ayahuasca to really get into that brain and, and, and figure out what the fuck is going on here. And like, let's, let's get things back, get the, the brain, you know, rewired in certain areas. And that fascinates me because there's a lot of people who have brain injuries and depression and things of that nature that are related to trauma to the head or a bunch of things. So any way that we can open up the doors of conversation and have ways that people can explore this if they feel called to it is so powerful, you know, because I can really resonate with athletes and how much we get hit in the head. And, 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 and it's like, oh, you're, you're a pussy if you say anything or whatever, and you're just depressed and you get on these pills. You know how many guys have killed themselves, ex-fighters and, and people just, you know, these boxers and all this stuff. We don't even know some of the repercussions like down the road what are going to happen to our brains. We, don't, we can't see what's happening. You know, and that's the problem with these brain injuries and depression. It's not like you can't see it like a cut on your hand or broken arm. Like there's stuff going on. So I would love if you can kind of talk about a little bit about more in depth of how, how these, these, these things like psilocybin and ayahuasca can kind of like help that out for play, maybe athletes or just people in general who have who have been suffering with these different um you know depression or or whatever it may be so i guess to start um we would we would talk about the ego being you know when when we're born we're kind of this blank slate right and as we have experiences and really you could you can make an argument that this all happens while you're in utero you start to have experiences and the ego starts to form a protective layer um, around you, yourself, your, your soul, whatever you want to call it, around the essence of who you are to, to form a buffer between you and the world. So when you're traumatized, whether it's an emotional trauma or physical trauma, uh, an emotional trauma, your ego kind of puts up a wall like, nope, stop right there. I'm never going to let that happen to me again. I'm going to protect myself in this way. Um, I'm going to shut down around this type of person. I'm going to have an outburst when I'm triggered in this way, whatever it is. And that happens to us continuously, you know, multiple times, many multiples of times throughout our lives. And that, that gets stored in the ego or as the ego. And when we do these, when we have these psychedelic experiences, when we, sit with ayahuasca or, or psilocybin or bufo, the ego starts to dissolve. That protective layer starts to be peeled back 
and it allows the subconscious material that's been trapped there, the traumas and the heartbreaks and the pain to be unlocked and processed in real time and, and like rapid fire. Right. So it, it allows these um, experiences that you've had many, I mean, not many, but some of which you may not even remember. It allows them to be brought to the surface, to bubble up past the ego so that you can look at them in the experience, reconcile them and heal them. How do you know if something's been healed? Like, how do you, how do you know? And that's what I've wondered too. It's like, I feel, I feel better, but I like, how do we know that? I guess we just got to trust how we like our intuition that we feel better. Right. I mean, how else do you know? That's actually a great question. I've never, I've never thought about how do you know? I've been thinking a lot about curiosity lately Mm. and how curiosity serves such a, a vital purpose in our lives. I don't, when you said, you know, rely on how you feel, I'm hesitant to that statement um, because our ego can sometimes masquerade as a good feeling. And oftentimes, at least in my, in my life, it has. <laughs> it's, a great, it's a great point. Great point. Like, I'm good. No, I'm totally fine. You know, totally. like, well, I'm going to have another beer, <laughs> whatever it is. Totally. You know, going back to that, the conversation about alcohol. But I think you'd know, how, how, do I, how do you know you're healed? Well, I will, can I give an example from my ayahuasca journey this year? Of course. Yeah, please do. So I sat with ayahuasca four times this year in two different, over two different weekends. I'm about to go to Soltara actually in a few weeks to sit um, three more times. My first ceremony, I had the intention to heal and release anger around my relationship with my father and with men, particularly romantic, you know, partners in my life. A lot of, there was a lot of anger about just the way I felt that I had been treated. You know, I know that's not exactly how it goes, but the way that I felt I had been treated by mm. these different relationships or in these different relationships and the way that I'd shown up in response as well. And it was a brutal, brutal journey. I felt like I was in hell. I could not remember what joy even felt like. I knew it existed, but I, I didn't, I could not feel it. And when I came out of that journey on the other side, after four or five hours of feeling like I was in literal hell and really wrestling with my anger, like I felt like I was wrestling with ayahuasca and my anger at the same time, I felt like I had released, I felt like 50 pounds lighter in my body. And that anger has not shown up at all with anyone since that moment. So I think the way you know you're healed is whatever intention you set or whatever you face in your journey, even if it's not part of your intention, looking at what, how has that shown up in my life in the past and is it still showing up now, you know, one month later, three months later, 10 years later, 
and no doubt it's going to keep showing up. I think that's how life works. We kind of like spiral like this and we meet these moments of karma, you know, throughout our entire lives. And each time it's a different, it's a different opportunity to kind of prove that we've overcome and integrated that part of ourselves. So that's how I would answer that. It's like when you face that same type of situation again, are you going to respond differently? And it may not, there, it may not be 100%. In fact, it's guaranteed probably, you know, not going to be 100% of the time you're going to respond differently. But overall, if you were responding 10 out of 10 times with anger, and now you're responding 7 out of times with anger, or 5 out of 10 times with anger, then I would say you've started that healing process for sure. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I mean, you can only you can only base it off how you show up and what you do. Really, right? Like if your same habits don't change and you keep doing the same thing. But maybe it's also your feeling and acceptance of it though, too. Like I know that you talk about you know, radical forgiveness. And, and this has been an acceptance. This has been a huge thing for me. And I like, we're very similar in a lot of ways. Um, is that acceptance, forgiveness, and compassion for ourselves. And I think that has a lot to do with it too. Like that, that's a huge healing in itself that I would argue argue that most people don't have. And I think for me, you know, all the personal development stuff I've done, but I think like the psychedelics have allowed me to sort of accept that and be able to sort of look at our stories and our life through a different lens because we've healed, we're healing ourselves and it feels like healing is loving. Right. Like, yeah, ab absolutely. The more healed you are, the more love you have for yourself first and foremost. I would say, I think the greater the healing, the greater, the greater the compassion and acceptance of yourself. Absolutely, I think with anything that we're talking about, love, whether it's love or anger or judgment or self-criticism or joy it's always I, I have found with belonging with what we talked about at the beginning as well as with several journeys that I've had this year that the way that I experience the outward world is a direct reflection of the way I'm experiencing myself and vice versa and since we're since we're talking about journeys I'll give another example from uh, I did peyote I sat with peyote this year and I, my intention was to release judgment towards myself and towards others. Um, but it was mostly this kind of self-critical, judgmental side of me. And it's, those things play so, they're so intertwined. If I'm judging others, I am definitely judging myself. There's some, and it might be, it might be subtle. It might be kind of, again, masquerading as something else, but guaranteed if you are being critical of others or judging others, you are judging yourself. And so when I set to heal that or to integrate that in peyote, that was also reflected 
not only in the way I felt about myself, but in the, in the way I could accept and love myself, but in the way that I could then accept and love other people. And really, it's become about meeting people where they are. And when we talk about meeting people where they are, it's seeing all of them, not just the negative things, but all the, the positive and the, you know, treating them like your friend and like a fellow human and not like something other than you, whether it's on a pedestal or somebody that's below you. And I think the same goes for that healing and love too. It's like, it's always a, it's always a mirroring of the outside world within ourselves. That's what spirituality really is, isn't it? Like, I think so. Like that's, yeah. I mean, that has been the biggest thing that I've learned this year from, especially from Aubrey is love people for where they are, not where they could be, not where they, you know, really accepting them, seeing them as who they are because they've just done their best. And you see, and it's with us too. You, you, we've done our best. We could, we would have done better if, you know, the fuck ups we've had, we would have done better if we knew better. If that's all the best we knew, that's all we knew. And that's why we did it. And that just is like a relief. Like, oh, I did my best. You know, Absolutely. they did their best. They're just humans. You know, we're humans all trying to figure it out. We all have a story. We all can't assume that somebody thinks the way we do. Right. And you're so right when you're talking about judging because, man, I'm, that, I, I feel that. I feel that when you're like judging somebody, you're like, like, then it's, it's a reflection of judging yourself. It's always Absolutely. comes back to ourself. Yeah. And that's why this, you know, that's why this journey with Fit for Service, a a lot of people don't understand it because they think it's selfish to only want to focus on yourself. But as you shift yourself, the world around you also shifts. Yes. You know, it's like they, they cannot, they have to play together in that way. We affect change on the world just by affecting change within ourselves. That's it. And that's where the problem we're at in the world right now is because everybody's trying to change everybody else and have opinions and nobody's willing to just look at themselves, look in the mirror, take inventory of themselves. Like, what are you doing right now to make this world a better place? Yeah, you're telling people to wear a mask. Is that your, you're a fucking hero now because you're telling somebody to wear a mask? What else do you do in your life every day to, to you know, push the needle in the right direction? You know, like, are you working on yourself? Because if you aren't, then you should be. Because especially mm-hmm. if you're going to point fingers at people, it comes back to ourselves. It really does. And it's like, it's, man, it's so important that people understand that you have to be selfish in a way that if you do better, if you show up better, if you improve your life, your state, everything that you create projects in the conversations, in the people, and that's what the ripple is. Right, if you're showing up in this bad frequency and this bad energy, and you're angry at people, well, you're just you're just causing this like commotion amongst everybody you speak to. Everything you do in your post, everything is out of fear. Everything is just this like chaos, and like that is not helping anybody. And no. and it's like, but people think it's yeah. I, I've heard that. It's like, what do you mean work on yourself? It's selfish. It's like yeah, we have to be. It all starts with us. It all starts with us. And that's the biggest thing that I figured out as well over the last while. It's like, man, you, you have to fix yourself. Not fix, you have to like, you have to understand that we just need to unlearn a bunch of shit. You know, it's not like, 
you know, we, we have just been conditioned and we're, we're all perfect the way we are, but we just need to unlearn a lot of the crap, right? That we've been conditioned. So, yeah, I mean, that's, it, I just feel like, especially right now in the world, it's the best time to really have this conversation about starting with ourselves. If we don't start with ourselves, I mean, Jordan Peterson talks about this in his 12 Rules for Life. How are you going to put the world in order when you're, you can't even clean your house, right? Like if you, if your house is not in order, how are, how do you expect to fix the world? So with all this focus on outward solutions for, for how others should live or what others should do, if you, if you can't even pick your clothes up off the floor and put them away, like, how are you going to focus on the rest of the world? You know? And it's, that's, you know, that's a not necessarily a literal thing, right? It's more metaphorical, like yeah. get your house in order. Um, but that's what it really all comes back to is like, get your own house, your own house in order and really get right with yourself before you start looking to everyone else to fix the problems of the world. Yeah. And again, this is why psychedelics are powerful too, because it forces us to go within you know, especially like a, a deep mushroom journey, man, you put a, a mask on and you sit with that for five hours. You're going to look at the files. Woo! <laughs> I, yeah. I, you know, I, I never thought about this until you just said it, but I think one of the benefits of psychedelic journeys is nobody's there to hold your hand or save you. Like oh, you have to save goosebumps. yourself. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like you're the only one in there. Nobody else is experiencing what you're experiencing. And so it forces you to take responsibility, even yeah. if, even if something horrific happened to you, they're not there for you to make amends or to get an apology or to get closure, right? The only thing you can do is make amends with yourself for whatever. I mean, and I'm not talking about like, if you were the victim, I'm not talking about like, you know, saying sorry to yourself or whatever, but I'm, I mean more like, if you were the victim in a situation and that comes up in a journey, the only thing you can do is accept that it happened, release any resentment, anger, sadness, whatever, and, tr and try to heal that. There, but nobody's going to be there to do that for you. You've got to do that for yourself and recognize that you're worthy of that. You know? Yeah. I really find the, the lack of acceptance and the feelings of the past story affect everything that comes in into like your present moment and we create our own karma by how we think about our our, our story and what we've done if we have a bunch of anger and, and bad feelings towards our past our past is gone like it's not there anymore it's just a story and we bring that forward we're literally creating our own karma like we're creating that that energy that is unnecessary and it's like this like weird projecting of this negativity that just kind of shows up in our life and we wonder why and it's because we i really believe it's because we haven't made peace with our past in some way or another and this is where i think i you know we're both going to costa rica i'm leaving tonight um you're i don't think i think you're a week before me are you mm -hmm. And I'm I, I I'm petrified of like what you're what you're saying because I know what it was like going on a deep mushroom journey and I'm like fuck am I stuck here like 
this is like, and I'm, I, I know I'm going to have to face some stuff, but I also want to go in and I'm going to journal a lot and just be like, I forgive myself for all the things because I know I'm going to bring that forward. But it's like, I wonder, do we create this unnecessary projection when it's just a lack of forgiveness? Like, you know, like if we really just forgive ourselves and just love it and accept it, I mean, how much is going to be projected forward? Like, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I'm just like, all this <laughs> I'm just like think- trying to think about like uh, what you're shown in these. I've never done ayahuasca. So it's like, I'm like, if I am holding some sort of grudge to a story, then I'm probably going to be faced to look at it or something, right? Am I correct with saying that? I think you're going to be surprised. Um, you, you can go into a journey with a very clear intention and have things come up that you feel are not at all related. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But it's really kind of a, it's like, I truly believe that, that these medicines show us exactly what we're ready to see. And there might be some part of forgiveness that you're not ready for yet. So it's not necessarily going to bring up all of that. Perhaps you have to learn how to forgive your sister or something for something that ha- something small that happened when you were young before you can learn to forgive for some big atrocious situation. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, again, yeah, yeah, just kind yeah. of throwing out an example. But yeah, I think forgiveness, it, I think forgiveness is really an underrated practice. Yeah. I think we, I think we associate it with like Christianity or God or, you know, some, you know, well, I'm, I'll forgive, but I'm not going to forget like, you know, that sort of, that sort of um, thing we've been taught. But I really think forgiveness is huge, huge and so necessary in our world right now. Yeah. And I think again, you know, not if you're religious, that's great. But I think a lot of these, uh, these principles, it's, it's the fear, like, I think the consequence that we think is going to happen because we've related bad, hell, good, heaven, you know, that's the conditioning. So it's like anything that we feel wasn't a good choice, oh, we're going to have to suffer for that. It's like, well, I don't know if that's necessarily true, right? Like, why do we have to suffer for a decision that we made in the moment that we just did because we thought it was the best decision? It's like this, like we're, we're so conditioned to think every single bad decision, bad is in our own projection of what bad is. And we have to pay the consequences of burning in this lava. And it's like, why? Like, it seems, it doesn't, it doesn't make it. And now, you know, now that I understand this stuff more, it all just comes down to how we feel about ourselves and our story and the, and the decision. It's like, don't, don't go around doing dumb mean things to people and thinking it's okay and saying, oh, but it's like, it's like really just knowing that not everything has to come from this huge consequence from making a, a decision that you, you know, you just made in, in, in the present moment at the time, you know? I think going, that goes back to the conversation we were just having too about understanding that everyone is doing the best they can. That was one of the biggest lessons when I was in grad school for counseling. That was one of the biggest lessons, like the biggest takeaways that I, that I took was if you truly believe that every single person on this planet, given their individual lens and life circumstance and the stories that they've been told and the stories they tell themselves and the labels that have been put on them, either just by the way they were born. Um, 
you know, the color of their skin, their gender, whatever. If we truly believe that every single person, given all of the complexity of our humanity as individuals, that every person is doing the best they can with what they've been given and the hand that they were dealt in this life, then that shifts the focus of everything you do and the way that you interact with each person and the way you interact with yourself, because all you can have is forgiveness and compassion and saying, oh, yeah, that hurt my feelings, but I can recognize, even though I don't understand it, I can recognize that you didn't wake up today and say, I'm going to say something really shitty to this person, <laughs> you know, yeah. like nobody does that. And so if we really recognize that everybody's doing the best they can, then that just, I think that shifts our entire focus on ourselves and on the rest of, of humanity. What is the biggest struggle that you're facing in your life right now? Hmm. Wow. That's a great question. I have been trying to build something new. So I, I owned a brewery for five years. I got out of that in 2000, beginning of 2019. I was trying to start a travel app. Then COVID happened right when this, right when I was basically ready to, to start launch, um, start ga- gaining investment um, from outside people. COVID hit. I abandoned that idea because who knows when we'll go back to like normal travel, you know, opportunity. And since that, that point at the beginning of this year, I've been trying to build this coaching business. Well, I really love coaching, but I know that I meant for more. And I have something that I'm building now, but I think the biggest struggle has been Knowing what's important now, I've been asking myself that question a lot since COVID hit. Like, what's okay? I wanted to do this travel app. That doesn't feel important right now. What feels important is blank. What is important right now? So, I think that's been the biggest struggle is really getting clear on that and surrendering to the process and allowing it to unfold in natural time and not trying to force it. I I tend to get really hard on myself when things don't progress in a particular way, if they're not efficient or timely. And so learning to just be okay with that, I think has been my biggest struggle and not beat myself up if I'm not meeting certain deadlines or whatever. Have, Have your goals and dreams of what you want for your life gotten bigger since you started this, like during this year with fit for service, like have you, because a lot of us have these huge, like we're humans and we're capable of so much, yet we limit ourselves. And I think sometimes, you know, when you start to grow and you start to realize our potential and you start to surround yourself with amazing people, you start to really realize that there's no, there's no limits. You know, has your, has your goals and dreams or whatever you want to call them, intentions, have they, have they grown a lot? Like, from during this year because I know for me they have and I've really noticed it as far as like what is possible yeah you know I I think my parents really raised me to always believe that everything was possible or anything was possible I, I can't remember a time I mean I don't know anything about building an app I know nothing about technology I know nothing about like how to launch an app. I know, I know zero about building an app, but I still went for it because 
it was a dream I had and an idea I had, and I knew that I could figure it out. Whatever it is, I knew I could figure it out. Like I'm smart enough to figure it out. I'm not going to learn how to code. That's not going to be part of what I do, but I can find somebody that can code and I can build this app. So I don't know that I ever really, I think they really instilled something in me that always believed everything to be true or possible, not true, but possible. And I would say the way that my aspirations have shifted this year has have been more toward I've shifted. So I used to be very like, what do I want for my life? I want to be a, I want to do X, Y, Z. I want to make X amount of money. I want to have this kind of house and this kind of car and whatever. Two, how can I show up for humanity in a way that still feels authentic to me? And it still feels like something that I am contributing, like with my authentic self. But it's shifted more from what do I want to more, what can I give back? I think that's been the biggest shift. So I don't know that the the scope of like, I don't know that the breadth of like what I want to accomplish has changed. I still want to do big things. It's just shifted more from self-focus to other focus. Yeah. No, it's, it's great. I, for me, it's been, I guess more of like, you know, Dr. Joe Dispenza, the more I've listened to him and just like the science behind like the mystic, Mm-hmm. I've, that's been big for me this year as far as like really really thinking about like wow we can create whatever the hell we want like it's crazy and you know use some ketamine meditations and you start to like you just realize that this world is is really it's interesting and we we are creators and not to get off to go off this path too much but i i just feel like if if you're really it's 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 exciting and i think growing up there's there's just so much skepticism around people and just dreaming big it's like oh yeah well you can't do that because of this and it's like you hear that too much and it's like okay well i'll just do this this i'll just play small because it's easier i don't know it's those self limiting beliefs right it's like the things we've been taught and yeah. been told I heard someone say once, I believe it was Eric Godsey, he said, there are two things that hold you back from truly, you know, having the life that you want, whether it's love or career or whatever. It's either fear of something within yourself or fear of being seen or, you know, there's something within you that hasn't been healed or integrated yet, or it's fear of taking responsibility one of those two things. So it's either some sort of self-limiting belief or fear within yourself or fear of taking responsibility for that thing you want. Like if you want to build a business, yeah, you, you can want that all day long, but if you don't take responsibility for that and really do the, you know, put in the work, you're not going to build a business, you know? So. And it's always comes down to fear. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that damn fear. <laughs> What are you working on right now? And walk us through that a little bit. So I'm trying to start a nonprofit called, well, tentatively called the Open Hearts and Minds Project or the OHM Project. And this nonprofit will, the mission is to 
bring back a sense of compassion and genuine curiosity into modern day conversation between people, not just in person, but online particularly. And we'll use things like mindfulness and meditation practices to help teach people how to uh, step away from a conversation if they're triggered, how to calm their nervous system if they're triggered by something that they see online or a conversation they have to have with a family member or whatever. But then also teach things like forgiveness practices. That's going to be a huge aspect. So Ubuntu is an African uh, philosophy uh, all around forgiveness and how to wrap people in love when they do something wrong versus respond out of anger, or frustration, or rage. And then Ho'oponopono as well, uh, which we talk about a lot in Fit for Service. And use those practices along with things like epistemology, which is the study of what we know to be true. So how do you know that X is true? And really walking people through how to, how to make like informed decisions based on the facts available to them and to get to the truth. So all of these different philosophies and, and um, you know, practices all coming together to teach people how to reconnect in a meaningful way and with, like, you know, leading with compassion and curiosity. I think those are the two things that are radically missing from our, our dialogue these days. Rather than, you know, seeking to be understood, seeking to understand the other person first and really get to know where they're coming from before you get your point across, before you throw some fact, factoid at them, you know, really trying to understand where they're coming from and leading with that first. Love it. If people want to learn more about it, where can they, where can they check it out? So no website or anything yet. This is, I'm filing for my nonprofit status in a few weeks. So really just getting this off the ground, but for the time being, my website is the best place. So it's miss MSSarahHanna.com and my Instagram is the same, MissSarahHanna.com. We'll or sorry, Miss, Miss Sarah Hanna, yeah. Perfect. We'll have it all in the show notes. And I, I, love, I've, I love watching your... I've seen you transform a lot this year. You know, Thank you. I've, I remember like, it's funny when we started in Tulum, um, I think everybody's transformed a lot this year. And I remember even myself in February and, and just seeing, you know, there's been some others in our group that I'm just like blown away. And I'm like, wow, you've really, you've really taken this and change. And it, it's so great to see. And I'm just so, so blessed to have been able to like be on with you on this journey this, this year with this group. And what a year to have gotten together. And it's been, you know, the highs and lows and, um wow it's been it's been it's been amazing so thank you so much sarah for coming on yes thank you so much for having me this is so great <laughs> yeah it's i'm looking forward to next year and it's uh it's gonna be fun and I, i'm excited to see what 2021 brings for all of us and what we all can create because i think if anything as a collective we've learned a lot you know, I think we've all developed a little more gratitude in our lives and, um, you know, we can really, we can really understand that it all starts with us and, and, and this community and everything. So 
It's going to be an adventure. I know that much. If the end of the, to the end, I always want to ask this one question. Out of all the adversity you've faced in your life, what is the one lesson that adversity has taught you? Wow, that's a great question. Adversity, wow. I'm like sinking into all the stories, you know, all the all the lessons. But I think resilience. And this is something that I think about all the time, but there is something just absolutely mind-blowingly beautiful about the resilience that human that all humans have. And it it makes me emotional when I think about it, thinking about how people can overcome situations that are, you know, devastating and heartbreaking. And just to keep coming back to that place of resilience and that plate that even if it just feels like a tiny seed, you know, like this little kernel at times or like a little flame, it's always there to come back to like that. Just a single spark, right, can start a forest fire. We, you know, fortunately saw a lot of those this year. But just knowing that that spark of resilience is always available to us and and knowing that the only way out is through. We learn that a lot in medicine journeys, that whatever you're facing, that you'll get through the other side and just to hold fast to that vision. Um, and, yeah, just recognize your own strength and resilience at all times. I think it's a really beautiful thing. Thanks, everybody. Go check out Sarah's work um, and her website. Keep an eye open for all the great stuff that she has. She's such a great human, and I'm looking forward to connecting with her in Costa Rica. So much love, everybody. Happy New Year. We will catch you next time.